Hello, and welcome to the Eco Chamber, a podcast on all things environmental journalism brought to you by the ENDS Report. In this week's episode, we'll be covering the OEP's decision to enter into the Surrey Hills oil drilling legal battle, transparency concerns at DEFRA over the chemicals which determine water quality status, and the drug resistant bacteria recorded along Scotland's beaches. How did they get there? For our deep dive this week, we'll be focusing on the government's draft air quality strategy and its determination to rush through the consultation process. So without further ado, let's enter the Eco Chamber. For our first news story, we're heading over to the home county of Surrey, after the Supreme Court gave the Office for Environmental Protection the green light to intervene in a legal battle over oil drilling. To help us get to the bottom of the story, I'm joined by ENDS Report's investigative journalist Shosha Aidy. Shosha, tell me what this is about. So the Supreme Court granted the OEP permission to intervene in this ongoing legal battle involving new oil drilling in the Surrey Hills. Um, More specifically, it's an appeal being brought by the writer and activist Sarah Finch, who describes herself as an eco-warrior rather than warrior on Twitter, which I think is quite a fun play on words. Um, and why why is this significant with the eco warrior? It's quite big news, really, um, because it's been an, a long running issue. Um, Finch has taken this all the way through the courts, and now it's ended up at the highest level, really. Um, and this news story in particular is quite big news, as it'll be the first time this. OEP watchdog has um, made an intervention in a Supreme Court ruling. So a lot's at stake because it will have implications for whether downstream emissions released through fossil fuels, um, basically scope-free emissions, should be the subject of an environmental impact assessment. And, and what are scope-three emissions? So scope-free emissions result from assets that are not owned or controlled by the organisation in question. So for fossil fuels, it's, you know, if they sell them and they're burnt and they release greenhouse gases, should those really be taken into account? Or is it out of their hands at that point? Because that's the customer's responsibility. Exactly. They might argue. Yeah, so back to the case, um, there's quite a lot to unpack. But basically, Surrey County Council granted planning permission for Horse Hill Developments to expand its operation near Gatwick Airport in 2019. Um, the application comprised the plans to retain and expand the site, including two existing wells and to drill four new wells for the production of crude oil over a period of 25 years. Um, so Finch, who's supported by this local campaign network, the World Action Group, called for a judicial review of the decision. Um, and yeah, now the latest is that the permission for appeal was granted by the Supreme Court last year in August. Um, and now the OEP has been granted permission to intervene under the powers that when it's a case that involves an alleged failure by a public authority to comply with environmental law, um, they have permission to intervene, like judicial reviews and statutory reviews. And it's chief, has its chief executives weighed in on this? Yeah. So Natalie Prosser said um, that the objective is to highlight the importance of clarity in the law, to promote good environmental decision making, and to seek greater clarity in the law in an important area. So that's this scope-free emissions and the environmental impact assessment. And on to our next story then, where in the government camp, transparency concerns have been raised at DEFRA, uh, which announced plans to update a list of chemicals which determine water quality status. That's quite a lot for my brain to compute. Shosha, what does all that mean? <laughs> yeah, so this is actually a line that was sort of dropped in the integrated plan for water published by DEFRA recently, um, that it's going to update the list of hazardous substances used to determine good chemical status. 
under European standards, um, more specifically the Water Framework Directive, which is a piece of retained EU law. Um, and there are about 50 odd chemicals on this list currently. So why is that so concerning? Why is this story concerning? Well, it hasn't, DEFRA hasn't really given much detail on how they plan to update the list, which is important to say. Um, however, the reason this is one to keep an eye on and why the news has sparked concern is that it's one of the more controversial powers um, that the government was given under the Environmental Act in 2022, since it's subject to negative procedures. Um, which means that legislation is signed by the minister and then laid before parliament rather than first being presented in draft form, which means there's less opportunity for scrutiny um, and there doesn't necessarily need to be a public consultation. Right. So no public consultation, no public scrutiny, stakeholder involvement uh, publicly anyway. Is that a concern? Yes. Um, I spoke to Ruth Chambers about this at Greener UK um, and she said that since water quality is such an issue of public interest. It should be something that's consulted on. Um, currently, it just says in there that the government must consult the Environment Agency and other representative bodies. So this is not something that is happening, but it's something that could happen. Um, they could remove some chemicals from this list, for example. So a hot topic um, recently has been that no rivers in England will receive good chemical health status until around 2063. Um, which is really how long it will take for some of these remaining chemicals, which are termed ubiquitous, persistent, bioaccumulative, toxic substances, or wow. the catchy UPBTs, um, to break down. They're the main chemicals in the way of none of these waters achieving the good status. Um, by the last assessment, if these were removed from the list, 93% or 93.8% of England's waterways would have achieved good status, despite the actual quality not changing at all. Wow. So they, they could move the goalposts very, very far back then. Yeah. Yeah. So they might even meet their original targets. At, well, actually, we've passed those already, but I think 2027 was the latest sort of push. So it's a really big one to watch. Um, and what does the government say about about all of this and its plans? Yeah, so, I mean, there wasn't too much in the way of an update. So I spoke to DEFRA to get some clarity. Um, and they told me that sort of since the UK is no longer involved in the European Commission's decision-making process, uh, the criteria for the chemicals to make the list isn't as relevant to the UK um, because before it'd be sort of a couple of member states are impacted and then they make the list. Um, and also the EU put forward a proposal to bring the list back up to date last year um, in October, but this won't count in the UK. So it's about keeping it up to date. They've also mentioned they might include new PFAS sort of quotation marks tailored to our domestic needs. Um, and those are those toxic forever chemicals which stay in the environment forever, particularly uh, some carcinogenic, so ubiquitous group. Yeah, the one that we're talking about a lot recently. At a conference I went to this week, for example, um, held by the Westminster Forum, Richard Thompson, who's an advisor at DEFRA, said that more de updates could be expected in the chemical strategy. So that's really the big thing we're waiting for. And, and what is the latest on the chemical strategy? Yeah, so this has been kicked down the line for a while. Um, it was promised in 2018, the 25-year environmental plan. Um, and in the latest update, which was given at the Chemical Stakeholder Forum that I attended in February, was it will be published in summer. So that's what we're waiting for. And interestingly, 
won't be up for a public consultation, um, which caused some eyebrows to be raised. Um, but there's a small working group called Friends of the Chemical Strategy made up of campaigners that are giving feedback on it. Right. Okay. So that's one to watch then. Yeah, definitely one to watch. Finally, we're off to Scotland's beaches. Um, but unfortunately, this story gives me no incentive to get my swimmers on. Um, <laughs> Shosha, we're talking about drug resistant bacteria hitchhiking on microplastics, which sounds like the opening of a terrible doomsday film or novel. Um Shosha, should I be afraid? <laughs> we should all be very afraid. <laughs> no, no. I liked someone on Twitter said this could be the premise for a Pixar movie. And, and I like that. Um, it's really interesting. This is a study by the University of Stirling, led by researcher Rebecca Metcalf, um, who found that harmful bacteria and pathogens from wastewater can survive the sewage treatment process and end up on these beaches uh, by catching a lift or hitchhiking on on microplastics. And microplastics, just to be clear, they're defined as uh, anything that is less than five millimetres in length, plastic that is less than five millimetres in length. Yes. Right. Okay. So hitchhiking, what's that (laughs) about? Well, the researchers found that um, bacteria can sort of colonise the surface of these these plastics. Um, And in a theoretical analysis, they discovered that the microplastics could travel all the way through the system with these clinging on bacteria out to rivers, through estuaries, and then end up on beaches. Um, and then after doing that theoretical test, which showed that some viable bacteria can survive for seven days on the sand, which increases the risk um, significantly of it coming into contact with humans, um, they actually went to beaches, 10 beaches, and collected plastic waste and screened it for seven target bacteria that cause disease in humans like E. coli and stuff like that. And bacteria was present in virtually all of the samples, um, some even showing resistance to commonly used antibiotics. And if it's found on Scotland's beaches, what's to say it can't be found on England or Wales or Northern Ireland's beaches? Yeah, I think even as part of the paper, they suggest they want to do some more analysis and more research is needed, but definitely a cause for concern, I'd say. And there's the, I mean, we do hear a lot about storm overflows um, and, you know, that impact on human health um, with our water, inland rivers and coastal waters. Microplastics has kind of been eclipsed at the moment um, in sort of media circles uh, when it comes to that sort of health and water pollution mm. problem. What is being done about this? Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. Um, It was brought up in the government's recently published Integrated Plan for Water I mentioned before. What is that Integrated Plan for Water? Is that that something the government's recently pulled out? or It's quite a funny one because I I think all the way back in the um, environmental plan, the 25-year one, they said they're not going to do a strategy for water. But I do think this is kind of their strategy for water under a different name. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what I would I would say. It's like their plan for how they're going to tackle all of these issues. Um, and it does draw together a lot. So, for example, as part of the microplastics, they're consulting or they're set to consult on a ban for wet wipes that contain plastics. Um, so when it starts breaking down in the water environment, you're not going to get that problem occurring, presumably. Yeah, I think this is part of tackling that because um, that can cause big problems when it builds up in sewage networks. In fact, I think we talked about this in our deep dive on the podcast episode last week, if, if people are interested in this. Um, but what I didn't mention was that DEFRA has also said that car tyres and road marking abrasions are the reason for most microplastics entering the water environment, which I found quite surprising, actually. Right. It's not the one you'd first think of, but um, it's considering actions to reduce the impacts of this um, in their strategic road network plan um, on water quality. 
uh, which I think will come under the road investment strategy, which is due soon. And if you'd like to hear more about any of the big green news stories we've been chatting about today, please head over to our website, endsreport.com. So now on to our deep dive section. For this week's Eco Chamber, I'm joined by news editor Pippa Neal, who for us will be breathing some life into the latest government consultation on air quality. So the good news is the government is in conversation with the public about how to improve air quality in England. But the bad news is you don't have long to get your thoughts and views and opinions over to them. So Pippa, how long have I got to give the government my feedback on their air quality proposals? So on the 12th of April, the government published its draft air quality strategy um, and launched alongside that a consultation, which closes on the 21st of April, giving um, stakeholders exactly 10 days to respond. Um, And this was pretty controversial, not only because it is an extremely short period of time, but it's also over the Easter holidays. And it's also in a period of purda where local authorities are affected in that they are restricted in their communications. um, And it's local authorities that are impacted by this strategy. Yeah, because they've got to deal with all the local council elections. Yeah. Perfect timing, some might say. Mm. So by the time people are listening to this podcast, they have about three days left to respond to this consultation. Why is this strategy so important? So the purpose of this document is to set a framework to enable local authorities to deliver for their communities and contribute to the long-term air quality goals. Um, And the document states that while particulate matter pollution is not currently part of the local air quality management framework, the government still expects all local authorities to use their powers to reduce particulate matter to enable the government to reach its um, air quality targets for particulate matter, which were published under the Environment Act. On this, the document states that it has still not seen sufficient action from the majority of local authorities um, to reduce particulate matter and says that in light of the new targets, the government has said that if further action is not taken, it will consult on introducing a standalone legal duty on local authorities to take action to reduce particulate matter. Okay, so they want they want local authorities to get a grip on air pollution but they've given them 10 days to respond to this strategy of which they're be- going to be the ones to implement. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is quite key policy that local authorities, you know, make it impacts decision making across across um, a council. Um, another key part of reducing particulate matter that, you know, one of the powers like mooted in the strategy um, is with smoke control areas. Um, And the document says that local authorities should keep the boundaries of smoke control areas under review. And it adds that local authorities are expected to enforce restrictions which apply within those boundaries. So a smoke smoke control area is an area where it's permitted to um, produce a certain level of smoke from a chimney. So that refers to domestic burning. Um, But an investigation I did... uh, recently revealed that no local authority with a smoke control area has issued a fine in the past five years, despite over 8,000 complaints being lodged. And local authorities who I spoke to on this said that the rules are just impossible to enforce and, you know, they just don't have the the resources or kind of the restrictions are so complicated that it's just impossible for them to enforce these rules, even though they want to. So then this strategy is saying, you know, local authorities aren't doing enough and they need to be doing more, but there's not really any further powers given. So it's all a bit all a bit complicated. And yeah, giving them just 10 days to respond is obviously 
not really long enough. Um, and I think it's interesting as well that cabinet guidance says that any consultation should have a proportionate amount of time to respond. And there's been questions raised over whether 10 days is proportionate. We are talking about some quite serious air pollution in terms of PM 2.5 and particulate matter, which is anything less than 2.5 micrometers in diameter, which can exacerbate asthma. It can lead to lung and heart conditions. The government hasn't just done this alone, has it? It has consulted with stakeholders, no? Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is that when um, the consultation was launched, um, a range of of stakeholders and kind of key organisations, including UK 100, which represents a wide range of local authorities, they were kind of outraged at the length of the consultation. So Jason Torrance, who's the interim chief exec of UK 100, He described it, the 10-day consultation as being unacceptable. And he said, in quotes, that local leaders have been left gasping for breath as they try to respond to the strategy. But when I contacted DEFRA about this and asked for comment on the short space of the strategy, they told me that local authorities and groups, including UK 100, also ADEPT, local councils, the Greater London Authority and the Local Government Association, have all been engaged by officials throughout the process. So I kind of this left me a bit confused because I thought, well, why are UK 100 so so outraged if they have been involved in the decision process, you know, in the lead up to this consultation? So when I contacted UK 100, they said to me that DEFRA's categorization of engagement is not one that they recognise and shared with me an email that Jason Torrance, the chief exec, sent to DEFRA in October 2022 where he asked, how can our members be involved in the kind of the discussion around this consultation? How can we assist? And I've been told that um, UK 100 received no response from DEFRA on this. Um, And they're not the only group that have kind of shared similar views with me. So one air quality officer who's asked to remain anonymous told me that there has been, in quotes, an extremely poor effort to engage local authorities and said that DEFRA ran a single workshop in March 2022. Um, So, and he said, you know, in effect, local authorities were asked about an air quality strategy that was 14 months before it launched. Um, And interestingly, this workshop was before the Legally Binding Environment Act targets were published, which are heavily involved in the strategy, as I I kind of mentioned, with particulate matter and the, the kind of responsibilities that local authorities have in order to meet these targets. So from what I've heard from this local authority officer, there has been very poor communication. And, you know, that's not to say that's the case for every single officer, but they said to me they think it's highly unlikely that the picture is any different. Another interesting thing is that a spokesperson from ADEPT told me that they were talking to DEFRA colleagues in March, so backing up what this local authority officer said. But they said the last email they received was in late September, which they said suggested that DEFRA would be looking to kind of engage with stakeholders. But they said this did not happen. So it is quite interesting because, you know, DEFRA is is saying, oh, we've been engaging stakeholders all along the process. This consultation is just the minor tweaks. But actually, the the most important stakeholders, the organisations that represent hundreds of local authorities are saying otherwise. And what I think is really important to highlight here is that in DEFRA's response to these concerns, they said, you know, that this strategy must be published ahead of the 1st of May 2023, which under the Environment Act is a legal deadline for DEFRA to publish an updated air quality strategy and set out air quality standards. So, you know, I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but it does beg the question of, is DEFRA trying to rush this consultation through because 
they're not prepared. They haven't, you know, they don't have enough time if they want to meet the legal deadlines. And we've talked a lot on the podcast and also on the ENDS Report website, how, you know, DEFRA has come into hot water over missing various legal deadlines over the past year. So I guess, you know, they don't want to miss another one. And is this the only consultation that they've kind of been under scrutiny for recently? Quite interesting. There's been a few recent issues where DEFRA has kind of been criticised for its lack of transparency. So a big one was um, with the chemical strategy, which has been much delayed. And when kind of DEFRA gave the latest update, they said that there's not going to be a consultation on this strategy and that instead a new working group called Friends of the Chemical Strategy will be established to take part in closed meetings. All friends, all yeah. friends. <laughs> and, you know, interestingly, this group will be selected by DEFRA. Oh, that- really friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This kind of not putting a strategy for consultation, it's quite, you know, a big issue and lots of people were really angry about that. Um, another interesting thing has been with the bathing water um, designations. Um, there was kind of a lot of concerns around how these how DEFRA kind of came to the decision to designate the bathing waters because out of the hundreds of applications, only four new bathing water sites were confirmed. Um, and when green groups kind of looked into this and submitted FOIs, they've come back saying, you know, the FOIs have been denied. And ENS actually sent its own FOI asking for the list of applications that were put forward and the reasons why they were rejected and were told um, that Unfortunately, the request is substantial and gathering it would entail a significant cost and burden on the department. I mean, and that's a spreadsheet, isn't it? That's Someone's got to have a spreadsheet saying, what are we looking at? Oh, that yes or no. Mm. That's not a significant cost, is it? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just interesting because these three things are things that have happened you know, very recently. So yeah, I think it's interesting that these three events, um, these three separate events have all happened relatively recently. And I think it does you know, beg a question about the transparency of death decision-making process and just how transparent they're being with stakeholders when kind of they're deciding key policy decisions. In response to our deep dive, DEFRA officials told us that they did meet with stakeholders, including UK 100 and ADEPT, during a round of engagement in late 2022. Following a period of preparing the revised strategy, officials met with several further stakeholder groups, including representatives of local authorities, the planning sector and industry in early 2023. They then told us that the document reflects the feedback we have received through regular engagement we have had with local authorities and other bodies throughout the drafting process. Let's clear that up then. And that's it. On today's episode, we've learned that our rivers may still receive a clean bill of health as part of a tick box exercise, that microplastics are not our friends, but they are to disease-resistant bacteria, and that DEFRA wonks may need to spend some time mulling over the phrase, less haste, more speed, when it comes to putting in place air quality measures. My thanks to Shosha AD and Pippa Neal for delving into this week's Big Green News and analysis. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the readers of ENDS Report, whose subscriptions ensure that important investigative journalism about the UK's natural environment actually takes place. So we'd really love to hear from you listeners with your thoughts, views and opinions. You can reach us by emailing ecochamber at haymarket.com or on Twitter using the hashtag ecochamber. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and maybe even share it with a friend. Until the next time, take care.